The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. The preseason uh, games have begun. Roster cuts have been made. Um, there's been a couple of late, late uh, contract signings uh, wait, 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 in Minnesota. And there's we have news on the a uh, uh, little background information on women's hockey. We have <clears throat> all sorts of NHL stuff to talk about. Captains galore. Where do we want to dive in this week? Oh, uh, asking me straight off the question straight off. That I wasn't ready for what the heck. I don't know. Let's start with uh, let's start with the women. Okay, ladies first it is. Uh, So, a long time ago in a land far away, I once asked my mommy, Mommy, where do women hockey players come from? Same place as men's hockey players? What? The same place as men's hockey players? Well, what she said was, Oh, okay. When a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, they agree to start taking their little girl to hockey practices no matter what time of day and support her just as much as they would their sons. And eventually those little girls end up in programs um, in junior hockey leagues. They end up in schools like Shattuck St. Mary's, the very same place where uh, Sidney Crosby and several other NHL uh, players have gone. Uh, they end up in NCAA programs. You know, there's Wisconsin and Ohio State and Clarkson. Um, there's BUBC. Well, thank you. Uh, but they also end up in uh, several leagues in Canada, um, including the OWHL. Uh, most prominent among that is a ridiculous 10% of the new PWHL coming from one team. Yes, there's only six teams in the uh, PWHL, but to have 10% of an entire league come through one, one junior program is absolutely bonkers. That, that one junior team, the Toronto Arios. Okay, I I think this leads me to a different question though. Go for it. And and it's not after reading this and the whole ten percent thing and and the names that have come out. I mean, some of the names that have come out of their out of their program, uh, Jesse Eldridge and Jill Saulnier and Sophia Jacks. I mean, it, it they got some great names. They've got some. I'm just wondering if this tells me that there isn't enough options for young girls, uh, burgeoning hockey stars that they are. There's not enough programs for them to go to. If 10% are coming through one particular program, is there not enough feeder programs or, or minor league programs or whatever you want to uh, – whatever you want to call 
that level of hockey, is there not enough of them? Both yes and no. The fact that any team can have a strong enough reputation and a strong enough developmental value uh, like value add to okay. keep consistently producing players is absolutely fantastic. Um, we will see that get diluted over time as the PWHL uh, hopefully succeeds and expands and gets to, you know, eight or 10 teams where they really have to dig deep into talent. But one of the, one of the truths of scouting and recruiting staff and everything is, is you eventually build up some sort of bias whether uh, whether it's conscious or unconscious. And you know what? If you're watching the best player in a draft class, whether it's Owen Power or the young lady who was taken uh, first uh, in the PWHL draft this year, just because you're, send, you're sitting there more times, you're going to see more of their teammates as well because aside from goalies, no one's on the ice the entire night. Um, that that contributes to it. You know, you're going to get the teammates. You're going to get the you might get the siblings. Um, and I, I mean, on the flip side, the numbers tell us, the demographics tell us that somewhere between 12 and 14. There is a massive drop off in girls participation in sports. Um, why that is, there's there's multiple reasons. I don't care to discuss them. Other people have better access to the numbers and better access to the young players um, and have their fingers on why the young ladies are stopping. It, it's a known thing. Okay. Um, that, I, go, I know that, I said I wasn't going to go a little deeper there. Is that why there's none? I'm just saying, even if you look and and this story, Ian Kennedy wrote this in the Hockey News. It's an yep. interesting little interesting little tidbit because even if you get down to the Oakville Hornets, then the the first name that they list. Lauren Gable, who has won a Patty Kazmaier Award, uh, she's won PHS, uh, according to this, uh, won PHS MVP, uh, Professional Hockey Federation MVP honor. Lauren Gable, she played for Oakville. She also played for the Toronto Arrows. Yeah. So she's been with two programs that are on the. That's why I'm saying I don't think there's enough. I don't I don't know that there's enough outlets for young ladies, for young women to get into. They all seem to be fed into. And that's great for Toronto. Toronto. I mean, Toronto is where the hockey, the hockey Hall of Fame is. You got the Toronto Maple Leafs. The, the, you know, it, it's Canada. Hockey, hockey, hockey. It, it, brilliant. But there's teams in places that have more seats in the stadium than they have people living in the city in Canada. 
Well, part of, I mean, I think part of what makes it easy for there to be players in more players coming out of the Toronto area is there's simply more ice. Yeah. There's a enormous concentration of ice rinks in the GTA and the Hamilton area. Um, partly because like, like the UK, like, uh, Russia, where you see many players coming out of, like you see many Russian players come from somewhere in the Moscow region. Yeah. Um, and if you look at where people who in all walks of life are from roughly in the UK, there's a super concentration of people in the London area. Um, this means there with, with the super concentration of people, there's more assets. It's cheaper, relatively speaking, to find ice to concentrate people. Um, the U.S. doesn't have a city like that. I mean, New York is a huge city. Um, the, the New York metro area is a huge city. L.A., Detroit, Houston, or well, maybe not Detroit, but L.A., Houston, uh, Dallas, big, big cities. But there's still fairly small percentages of Oops, sorry. the U.S. population. Okay. Um, I mean, Boston's not a huge city square mileage-wise, but there's a lot of people, and there's how many colleges and, and, and universities and in and around the Boston I mean, Boston proper. I mean, you got Boston College, Boston University, you got got, um, Northeastern, you got, I mean, Harvard's in Cambridge technically, but close enough. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying as far as Toronto being uh, because of the size of the city and and there's more resources to throw at, at, at hockey. But I'm just saying that I think there needs to be more outlets rather than just in Toronto. Oh, they exist, but you're getting back to that bias again. You know, there's a there's a there's probably a fairly high number of NHL players who have played in the Gretzky Helinka tournament. Is that because is that because they're actually the best players available, or because people have seen them at a tournament they're already scouting, and they stay and they keep tracking them? Because, you know, if there's a tournament out in Alberta um, where, you know, you've got the greatest players from Saskatchewan and B.C. and uh, like Edmonton, but it's getting one fifth as many scouts and coaches and things, those those young people, those young players aren't getting the exposure. Um, I think I, I think we sort of disproved that last week right here on this very podcast where we sat and talked about uh, a young gentleman by the name of Cooper Hackett, who is who already is a 10-year-old. already listed on Elite Prospects. He's a 10-year-old. Already listed on Elite Prospects. So the scouting is being done when they're young. <laughs> the scouting is being done in tournaments of name. Yes, he it, it was a particular and and, and it's I a well-regarded tournament. I that apologize, has, I forget the name of the tournament, but yes, it was in Columbus. It already has a pedigree of NHL players who have gone through it, including recent players. Yes, um, like 
total population of Canada is roughly 37 or so million. The pop, the total population of the GTA, Greater Toronto Area, um, where's that number? It's a much, much higher percentage than any given U.S. city is, um, or... I, I just, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, we do have 300 and 360 million roughly in the United States. So yeah, any city, any, any populous area is going to still be a smaller percentage of the, the whole here in the U S than it would be in Canada. Yeah. There's 7 million people in the, in the GTA. So uh, roughly 18%. Yeah. Roughly 18 percent, 17, 18 percent of the population of the country of Canada lives in the Toronto area. All right. Well, then that's I mean, that's a higher percentage of the country than if you put add the populations of Texas and Canada, uh, Texas and and uh, California together. That's a higher percentage than the than the percentage of teams in the PWHL that have names though. Um, sorry, sorry. I, I I I was trying to hold back but I can't. They need to get this done. They need to get <laughs> I <sighs> looking at their website, I have seen companies doing this making the same mistake that they're making and they are talking to people who already they're talking to people who already speak the language and are singing the songs with their eyes closed and without looking at the at the at the uh, sheet music. Okay. They're not talking to the casual fan, the would-be fan, and I think that that's that's an issue. Um, they're apparently going to market nearly as well as the NHL. <laughs> Okay. And uh, look, I absolutely love hockey. Period. Women, men, goats, I don't care. If yeah. it's hockey, there's a pretty good chance you're going to get me watching it. Well, considering, yeah, we've watched college, we've watched international, we've watched. Uh, We've watched pros. We've watched the USHL. We've watched the ECHL. We've watched. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's my point. <laughs> you don't. You don't go to. You don't go in search of hockey like that unless you truly love it. Uh, and no, I'm. I'm glad there's. I'm glad there's outlets for the women. I just it, it, the article tells me that there needs to be more. Is just to put a bow on it, that that that's what I, I got out of it. I agree with you, but I think that the I think that a bigger issue at this point, aside from having there be a career alternative at the top or at adult age, which mm. there really there really wasn't twenty years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, the most the most a twelve year old girl could hope was to get a college scholarship to play. Uh, to play hockey 
and then end her career. Now, you know, it's it's still a pretty narrow hope. I'd I'd be interested to see whether the odds are better for. I, I mean, I, I'm fairly certain the odds are better for young girls who are playing hockey, making it to the PWHL than for boys making it to the NHL. But it's probably not significantly better, given the size of the PWHL. Um, yeah, but they're not ready to grow that. Then they're, they're not ready to grow that league yet. I, I understand where that's coming from. You know, with with expansion comes more opportunities for more women. But then that league is not ready for that yet. They, You're saying that until they tell us who they are, um, <laughs> that would be step number one. But no, that's not the only answer. Having names on revenue, the jersey, they need revenue. They need to they they need to get their infrastructure straightened away. They need to yeah they need to figure out their marketing. They need to figure out the uh, you know what's their revenue. What what are they looking at realistically? You know what what cities can they survive a franchise? In? I mean they need to do their research. They're not ready for sixteen twenty teams whatever. But uh, starting with what do they have six eight. They have six. six. I, I personally think they should have gone with eight to start. Could, I think you could have gone with eight. I think they're between good. the two bodies of players. I think that eight was a more sensible number for keeping competitiveness. They had, they had established. They had established franchises in the PHF. Uh, I, Boston, Minnesota, Montreal. I mean. They had established franchises, and yeah, and now we're going down the rabbit. I'm I'm sorry, I did not mean to lead us there, but oh, uh, don't worry, I I ran right after you of my own free will, um, my own flea brain free will. <laughs> All right, who are we talking about next? Do we want to talk about uh, the gentleman in 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 Tampa Bay? Uh, oh, do you have someplace uh, another destination? Why don't we do that? Um, this sort of reminds me of an old, a very old at this point, um, TV advertising campa- campaign. Uh, Jordan's Furniture, who's Advertising used to be among the best in the country. Uh, started a commercial off with, they're doing that ball bearing thing. In this case, it's, they're doing that cap evasion thing. Or at, least, <laughs> at least I expect to see this on Twitter at least twice uh, before okay. the end of the year. Because the Tampa Bay Lightning have a player who's going to start and spend a significant chunk of the season on the LTIR. Um, Andre Vasilevsky is suffering uh, from a pretty severe injury, had surgery, expected to be out at least two months, um, which magically will get them cap compliant uh, while he's out. Ouch. And... (laughs) If he actually stays out for slightly over one third of uh, the season, uh, they'll be able to bring him back without having to move anyone else. So long as there's not 
too many other injuries that caused them to eat up uh, the cap savings with him out. They're not doing the Kucherov thing again, are they? Uh, maybe. I mean, you know, personal opinion, and I don't wish injuries on anyone. So my personal opinion is watching, having watched him over the last, I mean, he played a lot of hockey, winning three Stanley Cups in a row. You've had to make deep playoff runs. He has played a lot of hockey. Last season, he didn't look right. No, not at all. I know that they're saying last season in 22-23, he had a 2.65 goals against, 9.15 save percentage. He still didn't look right. And there were times where he just, he didn't look good. Nope. I I, I just was not impressed. Granted, yeah, he still had a, a, a really good record, decent numbers, not, not unbelievable numbers, but decent number. It just... I think there's something to this. I just worry. I'm my concern is, and yeah, I'm I'm going the same place you did. Is well, they did it with Kucherov. Uh, why not do it again? Uh, and save yourself the cap money. Bring him back. Uh, last last third of the season, last quarter of the season, and, oh, and have him ready. That long, they could literally like. They really only need to get like 32, 33 percent of the season for his cap member, depending on other injuries and stuff like that, for his cap number to no longer push them back out of compliance. Um, I mean, two months, like that's October, November, um, probably, you know, the first week of December. If you say, look, uh, Vasilevsky, we're going to keep you practicing. Um, but realistically, show up for camp, show up for uh, practice twice or once a week. Stay in contact with the trainers and go enjoy some sun. Um, we'll put you back in, you know, January tenth. I mean, probably I, good. It probably extends Vasilevsky's career, um, and it will certainly well, have him hitting peak by. This mid March, it'll extend his career, especially if they expect to continually start him 70 percent of the game. I mean, according to this article, it started more than 70 percent of the Lightning's games last year. The fact that he's been the workhorse in Tampa Bay for as long as he has. Yes, he's number one. Yes, he's very good. Uh, The problem is they have not given him. A backup goaltender that they trust enough to spell him for more than one game every three weeks. Their backups, Curtis McElhaney comes to mind. They had Louis Doming. They had, uh, I think Brian Elliott might've been one of the better of the backup. They didn't use him much. He hasn't, there hasn't been a backup there of reliable quality. It, it, whether it's Look because you they're going using out of it. your way to use not to use the S word. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. But it just doesn't make sense. I mean, if they're going to use the cap as an excuse, OK, fine. Use the cap as an excuse. But 
you haven't had a decent backup goaltender that you can actually give this guy a spell. Now he's out for two months because of back surgery. There hasn't been a a viable number two combination there since Ben Bishop was shipped out to Dallas. Yeah. And that's uh, that's somewhat problematic. It's been a while, <laughs> which is why he now needs and, – and now they're talking about, well, they're going to bring in Jonas Johansson. And – yeah, you know, he struggled. He, he struggled. Florida and Colorado, twenty-one, twenty-two, and is he good or is he not good? And and they've got options behind him are even worse because they got a twenty-two-year-old Hugo Alnafelt. I'm sorry. There are goaltenders available on the free agent market who have not been signed yet, though. I uh, I believe your buddy. Um I believe your buddy is one of them. Yeah, I know. Yarrow's still out there. He hasn't got a job right now. You know what? Brian oh, Elliott, their own their own backup, Brian Elliott, is still out there. Okay. Um, oh, wait. Yeah, and then there's another Bruins favorite in Michael Hutchinson. Honestly, getting um, – Signing your boy wouldn't actually be the worst option. True. And I think I think he's the best of the three names that they actually included here. I think he's the best option. Uh, is the twenty-two-year-old ready to step up and 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 take on that kind of a role behind? And and I don't know a whole lot about Jonas Johansson. Uh, so I can't speak to whether he's good, bad, or indifferent. Numbers-wise, he seems uh, fairly middling, meh, whatever that term is they use nowadays for middle of the road. Um, Well, it depends on who you are. I mean, if you want to be edgy, you call that something mid. (laughs) If I want to be edgy. Because there's nothing more potentially offensive than half of a word. Why <laughs> mid? <laughs> I've never heard that one actually. It's okay. I I don't know. I just uh, I don't know. I, I I think that they're not doing this particularly to. They're not doing this on purpose, but could they make use of it and? What, you're saying they didn't injure him on purpose? Uh, hey, some people might make that argument considering how much they've used him over over the last few years. So, But then again, when you bring home a few Stanley Cups, the, I guess all's forgiven. I wish him nothing but the best speedy recovery. Uh, like I said, don't wish injuries on anybody. Is this terrible for, is this terrible for Tampa Bay? I think it it makes things more difficult. I don't know that it's terrible. He's they've got a fairly reliable defense in front of the goaltender that is going to be able to soak up some of uh, what what whatever comes at them. And that defense is a topic all by itself. Um, 
there's an article from this week's uh, Athletic um, that ranks all 32 defenses with somewhat amusing, um, somewhat amusing tiers. Um, the the Lightning are ranked fairly near the top. Um, which means that any goaltender they put in in place of Vasilevsky um, has a fairly soft landing spot if you ignore the potential pressure and the knowledge that Vasilevsky will be working his uh, tuchus off to get back. Okay. Um, you've got Hedman and Perbix, Sergachev and Cernag. Dahan and Bogosian, um, and then you've got Flurry and Radish behind them, plus whatever surprises uh, should happen in camp. Um, I mean, the Lightning aren't an elite defense, according to the stack ranking, but they're certainly better than most. Um, is it really – is it – Wait, wait, wait. Is it really a rank? That, that, when I read this article, it, 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 it wasn't really a rank. They sort of, like you said, they threw them in the tiers with the top. I mean, individual ranks, no. It's not that granular, but I think that you could safely say, I mean, I think that everyone can agree that the teams that they have in the elite group are definitely better than the teams that they have in the problematic group. Um, and that most of the question mark group is not better than is not even competing with the with the uh, second tier uh, which I think they titled very good or tier two high end high end yeah where we see the flames rangers penguins devils and lightning among others when you looked at this list of teams (laughs) what stood out to you uh, that I don't trust who wrote this. Um, Harman Dial. It's a very in. It's a very. It, it, it's a very well written piece. I just don't know that uh, I'd include some teams in. Well, one team in particular, anyway. I have trouble I, with the Hurricanes being listed yeah. as elite. Not that because I nice. dislike Jacob Slavin, not because I'm downselling Brady Shea or Brett Pesci. Uh, we certainly saw excellent play from Dmitry Orlov. Um, I don't like Tony D'Angelo. <laughs> I, I'm not convinced on Tony D'Angelo, and Brent Burns is a winger for 98% of his ships. <laughs> Literally 98% of his ships. Um, I have nothing bad to say about Slavin. I have nothing bad to say. Jacob Slavin's fabulous. <laughs> but uh, I struggle with listing them as elite when you have two clear question marks and you're penciling one of them in on your top pairing. Now, I do love the pairings that they put together for the Bruins, but we're going to skip over them for a minute. When you get down to the high end... Um, I'm a little tiny bit curious how you can compare the Pittsburgh Penguins back end 
yeah. to the New York Rangers back end and call them relatively equal because Ryan Lindgren. Well, they, they picked up Eric Carlson, so you have to give them all kinds of flowers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. we'll do that. There you go. See? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Ryan concerned. Lindgren, Adam Fox, mainly three better top pairings in the league. Go ahead. Um, name you three better pairing top pairings in the league than Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. Yeah. Uh, Makar, Makar and Devin, Devin Tays. Okay. I'll give you that one. Uh, I don't know if I can come up with three. I mean, I love, and, and they have it listed here. I know we weren't going to talk about them right yet, but Grizzly and McAvoy, I don't know that they're, I don't know that they're better than Fox and, and Lindgren though. I think they're on the same, but yeah, you're, you're but not going to put that, put them as your second of three. I'll, okay. I don't have a third because I'm going to go change the tires by hand on my car. while you come up with the third pair. Well, I don't have one because Tampa Bay no longer has Ryan, uh, Ryan McDonough, Ryan McDonough. So, okay. So if we, if we <laughs> Edmund, Edmund McDonough would have been my third. <laughs> Well, if we're if we're traveling that far back in time, you might as well uh, go with Suter and Weber as uh, as an option too. I don't know. Well, Weber's yeah. Well, if you want to go back into if you want to go back in time, yes. Palak and Pollock. Uh, I don't know that they're on the same. I don't know. No, if they're, they're they're still very good. They're very but, good, but they're not. Yeah, there isn't another top pairing in the NHL really. I think you've got. One, maybe two that compare. So we've agreed that the Pittsburgh Penguins pairing of Ryan Graves and Chris Letang is not, in fact, as good or better than that top pairing for the New York Rangers. Uh, before, before you even get to whether it's a top pairing anywhere, I have questions about Letang's health. So I. <clears throat> I could say I wasn't aware that Ryan Letang, that Chris Letang had health, but uh, he does actually make it onto the ice. It's, yes. His durability at this point is definitely questionable, and if you think otherwise, I invite you to look at uh, his career history of games played in a season. Um, he's racked up a pretty impressive percentage of games, uh, a pretty percentage total of games, given that he's had – didn't he? Hasn't he had two strokes yes. since he's been in the NHL? Yes. Um, two. Which is sort of a lot for a guy who is now 36 years old. He played 64 games last season. Um, he played 78 out of the 82 last the season before. Um, 55 of the 56. Going back before that, 61 out of these 70 or so games that were played before the season ended. Wow, but then I missed 65, 79, 41. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, he's been in the league since the 06, 07 season. Mm-hmm. And it took him until he had five games left on his – until there were five games left uh, in his season before he hit 1,000 games uh, in his career. 
you look at other players drafted in that 05 draft and who are still playing, which, you know, there's not a huge number, but, you know, Sidney Crosby is almost 200 games ahead of him. Jack Johnson is over a hundred games ahead of him. Um, Anze Kopitar is almost 300 games ahead of him. Mark Stahl, 100 games ahead of him. Uh, Andrew Cogliano, over 200 games ahead of him. And, you know, Matt Niskanen, who hasn't played in three years, more than three years, is less, is only like 55 games behind him. That. That says a lot. Yeah, it does. I just I what it tells me is that uh, I have a right to be a little nervous. I also so, think that I also think this article might be trying it might actually drum up a little bit of controversy in their locker room because, ouch. Patterson was arguably arguably Pittsburgh's best defenseman last year and should offer a calm, steady presence caddying for Carlson. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are on the team. If you're the best defender on the team and this guy has the nerve to write that he's going to be caddying for Carlson, uh, Marcus might be a little upset. I don't know. I know I would be. And just then because you there's then there's the third pairing. See that second pairing, Pedersen <laughs> and Carlson, and then Pierre Oliver Olivier Joseph and Chad Ruiel. I know who Chad Ruiel is. Pierre Oliver Joseph. Uh no. No. Just no. I'm sorry. Their defense should be down in the questionable zone, not in the high-end zone. I'm literally next to a team where the <laughs> second pairing is still better than several first pairings in the league. Because you have Kay Andre Miller, who made that massive jump last year. Mm-hmm. And you have Jacob Truba, who's, yes, he's not the most offensively gifted player in the NHL. That's a given. He's He's arguably still the most physical top four defenseman in the league. Yeah. I mean, you hear about a Jacob Truba hit at least once per game. Sometimes you hear about two or three body shattering hits in a game. I cannot think of a single week in the in the NHL when Jacob Truba was healthy and playing where I didn't hear his name and the word hit at least once in in passing without even looking specifically for is, Rangers uh, for like Rangers news. And the thing is, you look at their you look at the Rangers pairings. They're brilliant in their simplicity. Ryan Glenn, Ryan Lindgren just so uh, compliments Adam Fox's game. Eric Gustafson being the more offensive-minded of the two on the third pairing. Braden Schneider, young guy, phys- and then you got 
Truba and Miller. Now Miller's no not shy to physicality, but I think his offensive game is steps beyond Jacob Truba's. Absolutely. It, it just the way they're meshed together just it, 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 oh, yeah. I think that that was a miss on their part. I think the Rangers should have been in the as they call it the elite tier. And I think they missed on both of these teams. That like that one just made me question the validity of the whole the whole list because mm-hmm. I I will still take Victor Hedman, Nick Pe- uh, per- uh, Perbix, Mikhail Sergachev, Eric Cernak, Calvin DeHaan, and Zach Bogosian over that defense of the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I'm not a huge Zach Bogosian fan, sorry, but Nick Perbix I- actually showed me something last year. He looked he looked the part he belonged. Uh, I'm not sure if he was a first or second year player last season, but Nick Perbix looked good. Chernak, big physical guy. I like him. He gives Sergachev. He allows Sergachev to be Sergachev, uh, be a little more offensive minded. I like their defense. I'm not sure about their third pairing, Calvin DeHaan, Zach Bogosian. Like I said, I'm not a big Zach Bogosian. How much time do they actually need to play? You you know, that head is going to play minimum 22 minutes. Sergachev probably about the same. Um, looking a little bit further down the list. I think that the Ottawa Senators is a group that just needs to prove it. Like there's, there's talent there. They just need to prove it. They need to be healthy and prove it. Jake Sanderson needs to stay healthy. Artem Zub needs to stay healthy. Chikrin needs to be. Artem Zub looked good against the Bruins last year. And Shabbat. Uh, It's not a secret that I'm a Shabbat fan. It's, it's just not a secret. I've been a Shabbat fan for a long time. I like the way they phrase it here. I don't know if you read. I don't know if you were able to actually read deep or just mm-hmm. kind of skim this because I know we got this late last night. Um, the reason Ottawa is in tier three, Senators don't have a true number one. Shabbat looked like he was trending as a number one earlier in his career, but he hasn't quite reached that level. I'm sorry, he hasn't had other talent to get there. And he's played obscene number obscene minutes on a terrible team. They finally was a terrible team for several years. They finally yes. bring it around to defense. They get Jake Sanderson. You trade for Eric Brandstrom, which, by the way, was a brilliant move when you got rid of Carlson because you traded huge, ridiculous money for a guy who's actually got some talent. Uh, I'm sorry, not that I'm saying Carlson isn't talented, but defensively he was a question mark for many years. Yes. Um, Jacob Bernard Docker is actually a decent defensive option if you leave him on the. I mean, they actually focused on, and, and Pierre Dorian gets a lot of focusing on the defense because for a long time it was Shabbat and the backup singers. It, it, it absolutely was Shabbat and uh, pull five people in, uh, pull five people out of the ticket line. So saying he was he look he was trending to a number one but hasn't quite reached that level. I think you're not being fair to what he's had to work with. Now with what he's got, is he a number one? I mean, is Jake Sanderson going to end up taking that position and be the number one? I don't know. He's 
still young. Even Shabbat's still young. Isn't Shabbat like 26 or something? There's there's no one old on that defense. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, aside from Tra- Travis Hamonic, there's no one old on that defense. Um, I I won't go quite far enough to say that I would take Ottawa's defense over Boston's defense. Mm, not yet. But I I would probably take Ottawa's defense over. Pittsburgh. <laughs> yep. Um, looking at their defense, Shabbat 26, Chikrin 25, Zub 27, Brandstrom 24, Hamonic 33, Sanderson 21, uh, Bernard Docker 23. Uh, yeah. So Travis Hamonic gets to be. average age of 25.6 on their blue line. So Travis, Travis Hammond, it gets to be daddy. She's practically daddy for the whole team. <laughs> Only Claude Giroux is actually older than him on this roster. You've got like four guys over 30 and everyone else is in their early 20s. I don't know how cohesive the locker room is because, but eh, wow, this has got to be a fascinating group to watch on off days. Mm-hmm. Giroux, 35. Tarasenko 31. Um, we mentioned uh, Hamonic 33. Forsberg 30. Everyone else is the next oldest guy is Corpusalo at 29. Okay. Josh Bailey is there on a PTO at age 33. I mean, are they just trying to raise the average age so they get less? They don't have to put up deposit down on their hotel rooms or something. Uh, This is, this may be the youngest team in the league. Yeah, I think it, I think we looked at that once. I think it, I think they are, if not, they are in the top three. I think they are the youngest. Uh, one more, one more team in this le- in this category because I'm not sure I trust this choice either. I do like particular players on their defense, but like their goaltending, I don't know if I trust it. Edmonton Oilers, I like Darnell Nurse. Always liked Darnell Nurse. Wish he was wearing a spoke bee. Uh, Matthias Ekholm, <laughs> when you played with Roman Yossi and. <laughs> Seth Jones and Ryan Ellis. And I like Matthias Ekholm. The rest of the guys on this de- on this defense, uh, maybe I'll take Marcus Niemelainen, who's in their other defense options. But Cody Cece, <sighs> I don't know that I'm sold on Edmonton being in this second tier. Apparently, the Canucks are actually the youngest team. Um, the Senators are the fourth youngest. Uh, oh, okay. Wow, I said top three. I was close. Canucks, um, Coyotes, Devils, and Senators. Okay. And I think that that's absolutely – it's Clark, absolutely you, bonkers that there's more than one team younger than the Senators. Clojure's throwing off the curve. Damn it. you got to cut him. <laughs> Trade him, and you may well actually drop down to the youngest. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, so Ed, 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 yeah, I'm not sure about Edmonton being in this group either. I think that Edmonton might be ranked a little high here. Yeah, but it's you know it's so hard to tell because their forwards don't defend very well. Um, what do you think of this of the Dallas Stars rating? Because we both love Miro Heiskanen. I think that Essa Lindell on the third pairing might be the best player, one of the three or four best players on the third pairing in the league right now. Well, if they don't want him, can we have him? Can I have Essel Lindell? <laughs> I don't know. I like, you know, I I mean, Ryan Suter on the top line, is he still playing top line minutes? I, I'm not trying to say the guy's old, but, and, you know, outside of like Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, Ryan Suter's old. Uh, Declining wasn't always reliable in the playoffs. I mean, I just, yeah. I like Heiskanen. I like Hockenpah. I love Esselindel. I don't know enough about Lundqvist uh, or Thomas Harley to make judgments on them yet. So I think if you put them middle of the pack, do I like them better than, I like them better than Edmonton's defense. Like I said, I know Darnell Nurse. I know Ekholm. The rest of the defense, Vincent Dayonet, Brett Kulak. Wasn't he in Montreal? Uh, no, sorry. Uh-uh. As much as they say Kulak's a nice piece to have on the deep. No, Dayonet was a liability at times in the playoff. Yeah, no, sorry. Dallas, Dallas's defense is better than Edmonton's. <laughs> okay. Looking at the middle of the pack, a team I'm surprised to see here. Oh. Toronto Panthers. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, there's no superstars. There's no elite number ones. I get that. No. But they had they they have players who have been. No, Aaron Ekblad was considered the number one. OEL was definitely the number one on a team that had nobody else. OEL suffered the same thing as Thomas Shabbat, only in the desert. It was more OEL. So, more so, yeah. It was OEL and the backup singers, or as you like to put it, people from the ticket line. Um, when I look at this team, I see watching, like watching Gustav Forsling last in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Watching Mikola in the playoffs last year. Brandon Montour. <laughs> these guys probably excel at counterpunch more than almost any other NHL defenseman I can think of. I told you and I tweeted during the Bruins series and I think later in the uh, later in the playoffs for the Panthers that as a as a team they reminded me of the Tommy Crosshair uh, BC Eagles because they would just play rope-a-dope. And as soon as you overextended, lost your balance a little bit, um, that's all, that's all. Breath, they were all over you and you were out like a light. Well, that's all it took. Montour, a lot of the points that he got against Boston was taking advantage of, of 
mental mistakes, slip up, screw up. Yeah. They just I, wait until you screw up. And then, like you said, it's a rope a dope thing. They just they wait for you to screw up and then they take advantage. They 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 snap to attack. Um, and I think the thing that needs to be said about Ekblad is last season, he was coming back from an injury that ended his previous season. And even though guys make it back, even though they play well, it takes it can take a full year. Ask, uh, ask, and I know a little bit of foreshadowing, but ask uh, the the current captain of the Bruins how long it takes to come. He had surgery on both hips, and even though he said he felt healthy last year, he never felt 100 percent. He's just now starting to feel like he's getting the full benefit, the full health of those surgeries. Absolutely. Um, so. I I think that the Florida Panthers are a team that you should not in any way underestimate the defense of or the pure, nearly living tenacity of the role of the uh, team as a whole. Um, looking at most of the rest of the team, there's not really any surprises. Um, You've got Zach Wierenski and several guys who were definitely drafted and definitely play in the NHL. Um, the Winnipeg Jets, you've got the Winnipeg Jets, I think, might be might be the team that you can make the argument are being done the biggest disservice. Josh Morrissey was a, as they said, had a breakout last year. He's a clear number one defenseman. He was. Yes. In the Norris conversation at points last year, Nick uh, Nate, uh, Nate Schmidt, not terrible. Um, Dylan DeMello, I like a decent amount of what I see, I've seen from him. Uh, Brendan Dillon, I like a decent amount of what I've seen from him. I might handily swap them up a tier. I'm yeah, they, they I think they're I think they're actually mislabeled as well. I uh, Neil Pionk was the guy that they was one of the players that they acquired in the Truba deal with New York Rangers. And Pionk has actually shown up. I I like he's actually in, he's actually good to watch. He's a solid defenseman, I think. Um they got decent pairs here and even their their other defense options, Villa Hainola, Logan Stanley are good options, uh, whether they're coming in off the seventh level or whether they're, uh, however they worked. I, I think that this is another team that might have been mislabeled. Now, Cooper Canucks. Yeah, they're in the right spot. Hughes. <laughs> <laughs> It's you know, really you, hard not to be a fan. You know you love Tyler Myers. Come on now. I have defended Tyler Myers, but Tyler Myers is not elite, an elite defenseman. No. They have him penciled in on their third pairing. Um, interestingly, the the article has Cole McWard as uh, an other defense option, and obviously we won't know what the team will look like until – uh, until the season opens or the final roster cuts. But Cole McWard has skated, uh, I believe, in three preseason games with Quinn Hughes, mm-hmm. um, which means that either Carson Soucy is being bounced to a different pairing 
or it just hasn't played in the same games. Um, I I think that there's a very I think there's a chance that the Vancouver Canucks defense actually takes a stride forward this year because Quinn Hughes figured out the NHL last year um, and his development over the course of the season was clear. If he can bring some of that poise and aggression uh, to carry the team along, it's going to be a fun year to watch, certainly to watch his shifts. I don't know about the entire team. Um, looking at the Canucks, much as I hate to say it, yeah, they're in the right place um, because there's really only one guy on that defense I actually like, and he's yes. past, he's probably past his prime at this point. Oh, one other guy besides Quinn Hughes. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about the Caps. Oh, the Caps. The Caps are, uh, yeah, John Carlson, backup singers. Trevor Van Riemsdyk is I mean, solid third-pair option. I mean, they are, they're probably where they need to be. No Orlov, uh, obviously, you know, being traded to Boston, and then now he's in the heck is Orlov, Carolina. Looking yeah. at the next team down, I how think do you, they might I'm, be too high. I'm curious how you feel about this because – there's Saint a statement. Louis? There's a yes. There's a statement in there that there's only two parties that, or maybe one party that can claim responsibility for that statement. And that statement is Krug has been a big letdown. I think that Krug is not. He. They they don't have him paired. First of all, they don't have paired. They don't have him paired up right. And well, as in Krug is an offensive leaning two way defenseman, and quite frankly, a lot of the St. Louis Blues forwards are lazy, <laughs> and that's going to affect all of his numbers, offensive and defensive, as it does the rest of the team. That said. Looking at the Blues, they don't have a top-pairing defenseman, and I would probably push the whole group down into the problematic. Okay. Because I think that's why they're one. I think that's why they're listed one one space above the next tier. I I, I know we talked about the beginning, and and there's no actual rate rankings or numbers. But I do believe that there is something to the way the list is done. He's trying to uh, that Mr. Dial is actually trying to say, you know, that they are the worst team of that particular tier. Because Nick Letty never been super impressed by him. Colton Pareko hasn't hasn't been good since he was with Chicago. Tory Krug is hasn't been good since he was with Boston. He had his best years in Boston. He's played, it's got to be 10 years in the league now. He's 32 or close to 10 years. Um, 
he's but no one ever picked no one ever paired him as a top pairing defenseman. Justin Who? Ball never been a top pairing defenseman. No. And Scott I'm not saying Karanovich, depth defenseman. Robert Bertuzzo, best defense depth yeah, defenseman. Yeah. yeah like they go. There's too many depth defensemen and not enough top six defensemen on this. You you probably have three number three defensemen and a couple of other guys. I'm um, okay with I'm see I'm see that I'm a little different. I'm okay with Pareko being top line. I I can't call him a number two defenseman. I don't think that Nick Letty is a number one or number two. Nick no, Letty has they don't have a top pairing defenseman in my mind. Like, Nick Letty, like I said, Nick Letty hasn't been good since his early his time in Chicago or his early years with the Islanders is the last time Letty was really good. I, and <laughs> even there, I wouldn't have made him a top pairing defenseman. No, he wasn't. No, but middle uh, pair when he was when he was middle pairing with. Uh, with Johnny Johnny Rocket after the Bruins traded him to the Islanders. That's I want to say that's one of that's probably some of his best times, in, in, except for his early early years in Chicago. But some of his best times were spent middle pairing with Johnny with Johnny Boychuk um, as a top line the, with Colton Pareko. No, the rest of the defenses listed. Um, well, we discussed. We discussed Mark, some. Mark Edward Vlasic, you poor man. Um, Seth Jones, please have a rebound so you don't uh, have to be in this tier again. Seth Jones. Um, Seth Jones. I, I understand going to Chicago and getting paid, but holy poop! The Canadians' um, theoretical defense. Do you want to be a goaltender on that team? Seriously, I no. mean, I mean, I, I'm I'm beginning to wonder if if Caden Primo isn't being smart and you know, well, my numbers aren't that good. Maybe I should stay down here in the mine, and maybe I should stay in Laval a little longer, you know, until <laughs> they decide to trade me. Because oh, that team is just. I mean, the Jake Allen's get abused. Yikes! Yikes! They got Rasmus Ristolainen. Come on now. Um. Yes, did, they do. Who didn't play last night? By the way, I was I was and heartbroken. Anaheim Ducks. You've got Ilya Labushkin. You've got lots of young. <laughs> you've got Robert Hag, Olin Zellweger, Radko Gudis, Jamie Drysdale, and Cam Fowler. Oh, and you got Radko Gudis. There's a. And Cam Fowler might be the very next captains of that team. I I will say that I think Arizona might actually be down a level just based on the quality of the rest of the tier six problematic teams. Because I think Troy Stetcher doesn't get enough credit. I think Matt Dumba, I think last year was an anomaly. I think he bounces back. I think Sean Dursey. I think he's capable of more than people think he is. And Josh Brown, at least when he was here, was a pretty solid third-pairing defenseman. He played physical. He's got... Which is hard to say, because which is hard to say because when they first brought him here, 
it was uh this guy's here and we yeah we weren't big on the whole we're not complimentary no but he played himself into a, a played himself into a decent third pairing defenseman and yeah he he did his job he was physical and you know for whatever he was getting, 10, 12 minutes a night or whatever it was, somewhere between 7 and 12, if I'm not mistaken. It wasn't huge minutes, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think Arizona's defense is probably going to be a little bit better than what they're getting. Especially considering some of the teams that are in this category. I feel bad for the line. I, I can't look at all of these defenses and say, yeah, they're... They're in the bottom five in the league. Now, I will be curious to see what their goaltending produces this year, considering they absolutely have to be spending the least on goaltending of any team in the league. Which team is this? Under five million. The Yotes. Ah, yes. Romelka and Ingram. Um, But if this team can come out of the gate, and the start of the season, and Andre Sergey uh, can get them rolling. This is a wildly young team, as we were discussing a moment ago. Yeah. They're going to have great legs. You've got just enough old heads to uh, remind them, you know, which direction uh, they're supposed to be skating in. Travis Boyd is a good, solid two-way player. Nick Bugstad, good, solid two-way player. Um, Jason Zucker, been to the playoffs. Matt Demba, something to prove. You know, when Shea Weber comes back from his in, from his injured reserve, yeah. Oh yeah, going to be he's going to be fabulous. <laughs> that I think that top pairing of uh, Weber and Demba going to slide them into a playoff spot. I feel bad, Shea Weber. I mean, I shouldn't feel too bad. He's getting paid seven point eight million dollars. You know. I mean, him and Carey Price will get to put, get to shake hands at the All Star game. <laughs> Do they get paid? Wait, and, and I mean, that, there's a question. Do they get paid that whole seven point eight million? It's not all guaranteed, right? Uh, it's, I do I believe it actually is. Um, as long as they don't retire, if they retire, they don't get any more money. <laughs> Why would you retire? He's got another three seasons of seven point eight million dollars. <laughs> um, I'd have to jump into I'd have I would dive deep into the cap, and I don't have the brain cells. I could see to I spare can, at the moment. I could see the GM and the owner trying to convince him to retire, buy me out, yeah, because seven. Seven million eight hundred fifty-seven thousand one hundred forty-three dollars for this season and the next two for Shea Weber to sit on injured reserve. Wow, <laughs> that's crazy. I mean, they're paying twenty-one, twenty-one, almost twenty-one point four million dollars this season to three I mean, injured players. As far as I know, that money's insured, so okay. it's not coming uh, out of the business coffers. But oh, okay. The only one that might come back is Voracek at thirty-four. I think Brian Little might be done. I think Shea Weber is done. 
Oh, if Brian Litter, Little isn't done, I, I'm shocked because I don't think he's played in four seasons. Right. That's what I'm saying. Shea Weber hasn't played in a number of seasons. I know he had the foot injury. It's been, what, two years now at least? So, And he's 38 at this point. I doubt it if he's going to return. I mean, I Brian Little last played seven games in the 1920 season. Uh, if he comes back, um, we should suspect a pod person. Yeah. Um, Jay Weber played mentioned, 48 games two years ago, so or three years ago. We just mentioned Cam Fowler, potential captain of the of the Ducks. Yeah. Um, He's got that contract that runs, what is it, three more seasons? Uh, he's their longest tenured player. Uh, he's also the subject of a significant amount of trade rumors, or at least a reasonable number. Um, at 31, a $6.5 million cap hit the next three seasons. Um, his no-trade clause does limit it a little bit, but it's not ridiculous. Um, or actually, wow, it is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> they call it a modified no trade clause. He has a four team trade list for this and the next two seasons. Okay. So four teams he can be traded to, which is, um, you might as well just call it a no movement clause. Uh, because that's what Wait, it is. Who picks the four teams? Him? Him. Uh-huh. Okay. Let's see. Um, Boston. Uh, All you have to do is submit four teams who are at the cap and call and then go back to golfing. Well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah. But that's, but I'm thinking, okay, if they actually, if for some reason they actually managed to get a deal worked out, you choose places like Boston, uh, Colorado, uh, Uh, just, just choose the four teams with the best odds of winning the Stanley Cup. Exactly. That's what I was going for. Boston, Colorado, who else? Would you choose Toronto? No, they don't respect defensemen. But, <laughs> Tampa Bay, maybe. I mean, I'm always impressed when they manage to have at least six on their roster. So, <laughs> uh, I, I'm terrible. Edmonton, Toronto, defensemen. None of these things is like the other. Yeah. Cam Fowler. I mean, it, should he be dealt? Is he still? I, he's still an effective defenseman, but that contract is going to be appealing to whoever. Yeah. Um, if they really, I mean, they're, they're in a decent position in terms of draft picks. They have all of their own picks for the next three years at this point. And they have Boston second this year and the thirds from Toronto. I'm sorry, from Pittsburgh and San Jose uh, this year as well. Um, if they do decide to trade him for reasony reasons, um, maybe to go chase down a number one or number two center or just to get younger um, because Let's see. I mean, you've got Troy Terry. He's signed uh, for a significant amount of time. 
but you've got Lee Carlson, who's likely to make the team this year. You're going to need to sign him. Mason McTavish's contract ends after next season. You're going to need to sign him. Um, Trevor Zegras is still unsigned at this point, and those contract talks clearly aren't going well if it's October 1st and he's not signed. Um, you might you might actually need the cap room, although at this point there are projected 16 they've got a projected 16 million in cap space. Uh-huh. Um, but Drysdale's okay. contract uh, Drysdale is going to need a contract not too far in the future because he's uh, he's also he's also a um, RFA in need of a contract. Now neither one of them has arbitration rights, but they also don't have to sign. They can sit out a year. Yeah, but and they haven't. They haven't been earning. Have they been earning the kind of money that would allow them to sit out a year? And does sitting out a year actually negate their RFA status? If they sit out a year, they become UFAs. Okay. Um, they could, in theory, go play in the KHL for a year or two because uh, as part of the global scene um the nhl i believe has uh severed relations with the khl uh, due to um, political so no, due to political climate yeah okay um but you know drysdale and i mean drysdale and zegers if they're holding out for big money could easily eat most of that 16 million in current space. Mm. Um, you also have you also have some other young players who are going to need contracts this season or next. Um, it's just that simple. Um, I don't know that he'll be traded. I, I certainly don't expect him to be traded uh, before the season. Uh, I think if he's still I think if they have a poor season uh, in the first half, he could be moved at the deadline. I think but that's I'd expect happen to Silverberg. I'd expect it's more likely to see him moved at the draft next year uh, than sometime early season. I mean, the one man that really needs to be, and I mentioned it pre-show, but the one man that really needs to be traded off that team is John Gibson. I feel bad for the man. You've been saying that for five years, and this is true. only 30. This is true. And they haven't done a whole heck of a lot to, to support him. <laughs> no, they haven't. Um, and, and, and it started with losing Shea Theodore, but that revisionist history. <laughs> George McPhee fleeced him. <laughs> I don't know how they let him get away with that. Uh, so that's one. I mean, if he's captain. Another captain on the docket is uh, Quinn Hughes, recently named uh, back on uh, the 11th um, captain of the Canucks. Had uh, two goals for them uh, in the second period 
uh, it's a part of his new shoot first mentality. Is that really new though? Go ahead. No, I'm just thinking in terms of I, I having watched him at, at at Michigan before he was actually playing for Vancouver. I'm not saying that it was. I'm not saying that it was his first thought was to shoot, but he is an offensive-minded defenseman. I mean, yes, he's getting better and better at the two-way stuff, but it, even even in college, he was very active offensively, and, and to the point where, yeah, three out of four options, three out of four times, he's probably going to be a shoot-first kind of guy. So I don't know that. I don't know that it's a new mentality. Maybe it's something that he's decided that, or maybe the team has given him the, the freedom to actually utilize it more. Is I don't think he's been as active as he could be. I don't know if it's a Van, if Vancouver or, or or whoever was head coach, whether it was Boudreaux or or, or Travis Green required him to be more defensive minded. I think his game and the way he plays it with his with his hands and his speed, his quickness, I think he can be more of an offensive threat. So maybe it's not newfound. Maybe it's just reinvigorated. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, in his two college seasons, he had five goals apiece. Um, It's not a huge number. It's certainly not a tiny number. Um, but he hasn't had significantly more goals than that across full NHL seasons to date. Mm. Um, so I'm not saying he's good at scoring. I'm just saying that he, he was offensive minded. <laughs> so um, the third I'm glad, I'm glad he's capped. I mean, it, they need somebody who's going to fill that. Who's going to whose voice is going to and, and actions are going to fill that locker room. So. And it's that actions thing that makes me happy that he's the choice. He is – you watch him go out on the ice, and he intends to win every shift. Not play well every shift, win every shift, which is a different thing. And I, I feel like he's one of the few players on that Canucks team in the last three or four years – who has had their own sense of direction and hasn't really just been a windsock. Well, as, as the, as the title of the article says, uh, Quinn Hughes does captain things. Yeah. And leads Canucks to win. That's what it needs to be more than just an occasional word here or there. He's got to, he's got to show it as well as speak it. And I think that, and that's why I'm glad like making it, and I I pick on Pittsburgh for it, but making Sidney Crosby captain five minutes after he walks into the locker room to me was not the right move. No, uh, Hughes has now played a couple of NHL seasons. He's got some he's got some playoff experience. Right, and that's my point. He he he's been there. He's done. You know, he's got a little bit under his back. The locker room knows who he is. He's not some freckle faced kid that just showed up from from playing, you know, minor league hockey or, or college hockey. I mean, he's been there, he's done that. He he's been through a couple of different GMs and coaches and 
all the other chaos of the last three years. Yeah. So um, the next captain, another captain, another new captain. Our local boy, Mr. Brad Marshan. I'm not sure if this went. I'm not sure if this went official before last week's show. It was right around the time of last week's show, I think. So it could have been the Saturday before, but we're getting to it now because it's about time. And you want to talk about a guy who's. Uh, I don't know if proud is a strong enough word. I mean, this is a guy who uh, he believes in it. You know, his his best friend on the team was captain. And as he said, you know, Bergeron thinks he's retired. I've got his number on speed dial. I'll be calling him every day. <laughs> um, I mean, you look at you look at Brad Marchand's career. And his being named captain, his being, it's a full cycle story. Like this is, this is what good Hollywood movies are made out of. This guy got into 20 NHL games in his first, uh, well, what was it? His third camp, second or third, then gets sent back to the, to the AHL. Yeah, comes back the next year and says, I'm going to score 20 goals or 30 goals or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They go on to win the cup. He has 20 goals in the playoffs that year. Yeah, he, some would say he had a strong playoffs. Um, he's <laughs> He's been the I might be foremost passed in the league. Including preseason, as we saw last night. He's or Friday he's, night. He's had a share of fights. He's an all-star quality player, regardless of whether they send him or not. And he better get to go this year. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a selkie caliber player, regardless of whether they they talk him about or it not. or not. Um, and he clearly both understands <coughs> the game, excuse me, and loves the game at a level that very few players do. Yes. And oddly enough, I watching the, the game against the Flyers learned that this is the first time he's ever been captain of any team he's been on. And that's something you rarely, rarely, rarely hear. I can't think of the last time I heard it. You, you hear a guy being named captain. Oh, he was captain of his college squad. He was captain of his OHL team. He was captain back in mites or midgets, blah, 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 blah. Like some of the multiple captains in multiple places. This is the nope. first. This Brad is the Marchand, first. 35 years old, wearing the C for the first time in his life. And the best, uh, like one of the best parts of it, not only does he get to succeed his best friend as captain, 53 games into the season, when he hits the 1,000 NHL game mark, thank you all of those ridiculous suspensions. It should have happened a while. It should have happened already. Yeah. Um, he's going to do it with the C. He's going to do it having won the Stanley Cup. He's going to do it with 146 um, playoff games uh, in, the, in the NHL at his back. He's going to do it as the love this. The only going to do it as the best left wing in the game. No, go ahead. 
No, I just said he's going to do it as the best left wing in the game. Yeah. He's it's hard to say that there's been a better left wing in the last seven, eight years. Maybe you go back even as far as the 15, 16 season. Um, he's a legit threat. He's a legit playmaker in all three zones and any inch of that 200 by what? 60, 80. Uh, I think uh, rink is what? 80 feet across. That's not it. Yeah. 200 by 80 at any time of the game. First shift, last shift, three shifts into the second period. It, it, it doesn't matter. He's, well, it was it was early shifts on Friday. It was early shift on Friday where he was taking out a, a flyer in a preseason game. And the best part about that hit is aside from it being the first time we watched Brad Marchand deliver a hit with the C on his jersey. Aside from the fact that it was a perfectly timed, perfectly placed hit, it was completely unremarkable. Now, the Flyers reacted like it was a bad hit. The referees didn't put their arms up on instinct, having seen the jet number on his jersey or helmet. It was the. It was another capstone in his maturation and journey as a player that he can make a clean out hit and not have anyone respond to it as if it was a dirty hit. It wasn't a dirty hit. They showed it from ice level and how he he turned and made sure that he hit him with a shoulder in the chest. There was no anything. There was no point of contact anywhere near the head. Yes, I understand all of that completely. It was completely legal. But the thing that we're talking about is his reputation in the past has had some people, many people, occasionally questioning whether even completely legitimate hits that no one would have questioned on any other player in the league were in fact legal. And here he is in the preseason leveling a guy and no one even blinks. Yeah, no. In fact, I mean, granted it's preseason, whether they're going to call, you know, that obviously wasn't a call, but some of the stuff he'd done later on in the game, I mean, he was, he was certainly trying to get under, uh, under people's skin, I, I don't know. I don't know why Farabee rubbed him the wrong way, but apparently Joel Farabee rubbed him the wrong way at some point during that game, and it there came was out at the uh, antipathy there. Uh, it came he, out at the end, but there was other pushing and shoving between him and and Joel. Well, wasn't it Joel who did the chicken wing and got dragged almost the width of the ice? <laughs> he dragged him from the wall all the way to the goal line. What's that? What's that? Like six, eight feet? He it, just dragged it. Probably closer to ten, given the, given it was a diagonal. Yeah, that's true. It was diagonal. So, yeah, probably about ten feet. He's holding on to the stick getting a ride. And then when he gets, and then when he finally lets go, and Marshan finally works his stick free, Farabee gets up and comes after him, gives him a either a cross check or a two hander across the back of the legs or something. I, it, there was no reason for that. 
And then Brad turns around and he, he two hand he two hand chops somebody with his stick. I don't think it was Farabee. I think it was uh, I think it was Sanheim who stepped in as a third man. Thankfully, yeah. cooler heads prevailed. The only call made was the holding the stick call, but uh, that could have been another ugly incident for Brad. It still might be. I don't know. They the, the league could. I haven't. I've looked and I haven't seen anything. But it's also the weekend, so. I think because it's preseason and they want to kind of let it, you know, let it disappear on its own. They're probably not going to do anything. But it, they they could in, in a regular season game, he'd probably be getting a fine. I I don't know if he'd get a fine for that. It was a two um, we see I mean, that, it wasn't, We see it, that stuff all the time. Like literally any given any given game day. Okay. Um, and it looks like NHL player safety's uh, account has not made a post since May 24th. So unless they've forgotten how to use Twitter, um, <laughs> well, they have, it's not, it doesn't have the bird anymore. They could be confused. Entirely possible. Um, Hey, I'm just trying, just trying to help out. Um. So, quick question. Okay. One of the guys who we both loved, ab- absolutely loved at camp, was Poitra or Poitras or however it's being pronounced this week. Hey, apparently, he's getting the French pronunciation now. It's Matthew Potois. Here's your question. This will be our poll, our uh, will he or won't he poll question this week. Will he or won't he uh, be cut? Uh, and by cut, I mean before the start of uh, the regular season. The thing, uh, this is a tough one because he can't go, he can't go to, um, whatchamacallit, he can't go to, to Providence. It's either stick with the Bruins or he has to go back to wherever he was playing in the OHL. And I don't remember off the top of my head was it. He can't play in. Golf. He, he would have to go back to golf. Golf. Yeah. Golf storm. Um, for those wondering about the stats. Uh, for draw. Uh, listed at 5'11", 170, birthday March 10th, 24 uh, uh, of 2004, center, uh, right shot center out of Brooklyn, Ontario. Um, last season in the O, 63 games, 16 goals, 79 assists, 95 points overall, a 45-point jump in five points less than the season before, plus two, six points uh, with a 2-4-6 uh, line. Is he still 19? Uh, playoffs. Is he still 19? He is 19 uh, for another like eight months. Mm-hmm. Well, six months. I think they send. I think they send him back to Guelph. I think they send him back, and I think it's the right call because he has been bounced around on a regular basis, um, which is both good and bad. He's getting bounced around because he's in the right place and has the puck. 
but he took I mean if you watched if you watched the Philadelphia game I mean granted it was probably a granted it, it was probably a welcome to the NHL kid type moment but he took a pretty decent shot uh last night it was it was completely legal it was you know they weren't but it was still the player wasn't trying to hurt him whoever it was and I don't remember off the top of my head but it was still a, a you know welcome to the NHL kid type of hit and it's like it just it it kind of drilled home the fact that he needs to I think he needs to, to bulk up a little. I mean, they talk to, they talk a lot about uh, Pasta has spent a lot of time in the weight room and he's, you know, making his upper making himself stronger upper body legs wise and hasn't lost his speed. I think Portois needs to get stronger. He needs to get stronger and but he was able to shield the puck. I mean, he did a hell of a job behind the net at one point. He held the puck for a good 20 seconds, a good 25 seconds. I have I have no problems with the way he pulls. I don't have any problems with his decision making, his positioning, his passing. Yeah, no, he's. But I firmly believe if you put him in the league this season right now, as he stands, I, I don't think you can. Gonna, he's gonna get hurt. He's gonna get hurt repeatedly because one, he's just not strong enough to compete. With guys who are seven, eight years bigger and stronger. And while there's not those true power forwards and there's no Shea Weber's, uh, well, there's Jacob Truba still on the blue line. <laughs> um, um, everyone is fast. He's not super fast. And he still needs to develop the awareness. I don't think he's used to being a target. And... Quite frankly, in the NHL, everyone's a target. Everyone's a target. My honest best opinion. player on your team, worst player on your team, if you have the puck, yeah. you're a target. Yeah. And he would be a target. I mean, they talk about, they, again, they talk about pastas. You know, oh, you, you heard Jack during the Philly game, you know, oh, he scored 61 goals, you become. You know, you're on everybody's game plan. You, you, you know, everybody's got video of you. You, you, you become a target, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. I think if there's any one person in these preseason game, these first three that we've seen, because as much as I like Lowry, I love his decision making. Uh, his, you can see the offensive ability uh, since he was a forward and he was only converted to a defenseman, what a handful of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even I don't know if it was before he got to the USHL or while he was there, but I think he still needs to go and play serious minutes in Providence. He, yeah, he went there for what five or seven games at the end of last season uh, after he was done at Ohio State. Yeah. But he need I mean they played him 29 minutes in the second preseason game. They played him 20 minutes in the in the Philly game. The skill is there. The desire is there. He needs minutes. He needs to learn from his mistakes. Unless you're making one of the rumored trades, and the worst rumor is Grizzly um, for the Bruins, and you're going to play him all of the minutes of whoever you move out, it's better for the player to go play 24 minutes a night 
in Providence than to play 14 minutes a night here. I think the one guy who might be able to crack a roster spot is going to be John Beecher. I did not see him the first two preseason games. I was tied up in other stuff. Um, Beecher looks – he looks – I know that for whatever reason people don't like him. Uh, I don't know what their reasonings are. Um, the scoring is there. The consistency was there in the first two games. Uh, Decision-making, uh, face-off, win, the ability to win face-offs. Which is uh, also Jesper Boquist can win faceoffs. He he was very good at the end of the second game um, when they needed faceoff wins defensively. He was getting them. But Beecher, I'm not going to put him on anybody. I'm not comparing him to anyone. I'm just saying that of the players that I've seen, and I'm not looking at NHL players or guys who've been like Lauko, played. A, a significant number of games last season, 20-something, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I'm talking about guys who either haven't been there or played like one game or whatever. You know, I think the only one that really meets the criterion is, is Beecher right now the, as far as actually cracking the roster. So you're you're not sold on Merkulov? I like Merkulov. He's had moments. I if they play him again, and I'm hoping they do, if they play him again over the next three games, I'd be interested to see. And right now, I don't think so. But there's there's definite skill there. That's fair. Um, so we will. Uh, we had actually last week's um, will he or won't he. Uh, yes. Pop up. Uh, Ryan Johansson of the Avs, 60 or more points this NHL season. Um, he's uh, no longer with the Preds or the Blue Jackets. He has moved to a top ranked team. Um, he's not going to be their number one, uh, their number one forward. Uh, I'm sorry, their number one center. Although he said he spoke of himself as if they now have two number one centers. Um, Did he really? Interesting statement, but. Did he really? Yes. Um, (laughs) Okay. Full results, pretty straightforward. Uh, 42% no, 57% yes. Um, Where do you fall on that spectrum? I think he can. With that team, if he stays healthy, um, doesn't have too much trouble adjusting to the altitude. Yeah, I think he can. I agree. I think they're they are an offensive. If you've watched Colorado at all over the last couple of seasons, just the last two seasons, the offense is the first thing and the second and third thing that jump out at you about that team. They have the ability to score. They have the speed. They can they can handle the puck. They've got it from the from the blue line on in. They can pretty much score. I want to say at will, but you know the the, the other team is going to pretty do their close. best to stop. Yeah, I think that yeah, he, I think he could get sixty points. Um, and I think we've uh, covered just about everything we wanted to this week. Isn't that amazing? 
love it when we get love it when we get that done. So everyone uh, have a great week. Uh, real hockey is coming really, really soon. <laughs> In 11 days, 10 days. Can't. It's at like 10 days now. Uh, it's 10 days. Yeah. Ooh, breathe deep. <laughs> have a great week. Share the show with friends, neighbors, or random people you meet on the street. Uh, someone hands you their phone, add it to their podcast list. Um, have a great day.